Lord, your word says that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. No matter what is going on in our world, no matter what is going on in our community, your your word stands firm. And Lord, that's why we open it on Sunday mornings. That's why we open it throughout the week, because it's life-giving. Life can be so difficult. In life, there's trouble, but we know there's hope in you. We know there's joy in you. We know there's peace in you. And so we run to you. We run to know you more. And the way that we know you more is through your word. And so as we open it this morning, I pray you cast away all distractions. Lord, I sin against you in many ways, and I desperately need your hope. I desperately need your forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work through my sinfulness to be able to have your word go out and that it not return void. Lord, as we open your very word this morning, I pray, God, that it would be not just another uh, word on a page, but we would understand that it's you directly speaking to us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Advent season is a time for us to uh, not only celebrate the birth of Christ, but it's also for us to look forward to Jesus coming again, where he's going to make all things new. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. This morning, we're going to look at the bad news and the good news of the gospel as we continue on through Genesis chapter, uh, through Genesis as we look through chapters 42 through 45. And um, whenever someone asks you if uh, they have bad news and good news to tell you, what do you always want to hear first? You always want to hear the bad news first, right? You want to get that out of the way. When I was in in high school, I applied for a full scholarship to Flagler College. And uh, this was so important to me because I really wanted to come and play baseball at Flagler. And I applied for this scholarship, and I got noticed that I was one of the finalists. And what they did for the finalists is they flew them down uh, to St. Augustine. I was living in Portsmouth, New Hampshire at the time. This was really exciting. I was going to come fly down here and be interviewed face-to-face with the board of directors at Flagler College. Really intimidating for an 18-year-old kid. And so I come down, uh, do the interviews, and th- the interviews went okay. I wasn't sure if I was going to get it or not, and go back home. And I'm at baseball practice, and my mom comes driving up, and she says, Hey, hey, you got to go. you got to go and call back Flagler College. They called the house. Well, this is the time before cell phones. Young people, I know you can't even imagine that, right? Uh, Time before cell phones. So my mom had a bunch of quarters in her hand to go use the pay phone. There there used to be a time, I know young people, this is going to blow your mind. There used to be a time you have to put quarters into a phone to make a phone call. So we're making a long-distance phone call to Florida. So we're jamming quarters in the machine and call back up. And the registrar, the guy that was in charge, answers the phone and he said, Andy, I've got bad news and I've got good news. What, what do you want to hear first? And he said, I said, of course, I want to hear the bad news first. He said, the, the bad news is, is that we made a terrible mistake. Uh, you weren't supposed to be one of the finalists. We made a clerical error. We flew you down here. You weren't supposed to be the one that flew down here. I'm really, really sorry about that. I'm like, What? He said, do you want to hear the good news? I said, sure. He said, the good news is you got a free trip to Florida. I was crushed. 
And then that jerk said, I'm just kidding, you got the scholarship. I'm like, what on earth? That was uh, brutal. But I got over it real quickly because I got a full-ride scholarship to Flagler College. And uh, by God's grace, God had his hand over the whole situation. I never would have came to Flagler if it wasn't for that. And coming to Flagler changed my entire life. That's where I met my wife on the first day of school. That's where I met Jesus. Uh, and I'm so grateful and thankful for his plan. So the gospel contains bad news and good news. And we're going to go through the story here. We're going to go through uh, four chapters. And I don't have time to read all four chapters with you. So we'll summarize a couple of the chapters. But then we'll read chapter 45 together. If you're new here, we're so glad that you're here. If you're watching for the first time online, we're so thankful that you're here. We've been walking through Genesis and we've seen the story of God unfold through Genesis. And we've been looking at the story of Joseph here uh, for the last several weeks. And uh, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because his brothers were unbelievably jealous of him because he kept telling uh, his brothers about these stories that they were going to bow down to him uh, when they get older. And they were sick and tired of that. Plus, the, the father, Jacob, who's known also as Israel, was giving him favoritism, made him a nice, beautiful coat. And these guys were so sick of that. So they sold him into slavery. Through God's providence, he gets put in the house of Potiphar. Then Potiphar's wife sets him up. And says that he's trying to seduce her when it's, the opposite is true. Then he gets put in prison. And when he's in prison, he's interpreting these dreams uh, for other prisoners that were there. Then uh, Pharaoh finds out that he can interpret dreams. And he interprets his dream. And then he gets put in charge. Uh, second command of all the things that are happening in Egypt. And there's a famine that comes across the land in Egypt. And so now... People from all over the region are coming to Egypt to get the food that Joseph prepared for the country to be ready for. And God used him through all of this, through 13 years of really bad ups and downs, really bad good news and bad news. He's now using him in this, in this way. And so chapter 42 starts with his brothers are now without food. And now they're coming to Joseph. And they're begging him for food, just like the other people are doing that. And so the brothers show up, and they don't recognize Joseph. I mean, why wouldn't they recognize their own brother? Well, it's been 13 years, and they certainly don't expect Joseph to be alive. They don't, they don't expect it. It's like the women, when they went to the tomb and, and, and they, see, they see Jesus, they're not, they're not expecting Jesus to be there. And so... They're not expecting Joseph, so they don't recognize Joseph. So Joseph uh, tells them that if they want food and uh, to assure they're not spies and to kind of mess with them a little bit, he says, listen, you've got to go back and bring your youngest brother. You come back and bring your youngest brother. I will give you the food. And so that happens through chapter 42. Chapter 43 happens. They come back from uh, their homeland to Egypt. They got the younger brother with them, and they put this time... Joseph puts all of this uh, silver and, and gold in their, in their backpacks, and they find it, and they return it back to them and show that they're honest people. And then when the younger brother comes, when Benjamin comes in chapter 44, they got the food. They're going back to Egypt, and what Joseph does is he plants his silver cup in Benjamin's uh, backpack. And as they're leaving, the guards stop them. 
And he says, one of you stole my cup. They said, why would we ever do that? We'll return the silver and gold to you. Why would we steal from you? We didn't steal from you. He says, search their backpacks. They go through all of them. And they, they make a, a vow that if they find the cup, whoever's backpack is in, they'll be put to death. And all the rest of them will be slaves because they're so confident they didn't steal. But Joseph planted it there. And there in Benjamin's backpack is the cup. And so, of course, they're unbelievably upset. They're, they can't believe this is happening. And Joseph finally tells them who he is. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. Now, this would have been a wild thing for all the guards that were taking care of Joseph. Because they would have said, hey, all these people here, these brothers who you don't really trust, who now has stolen one of your cups, we're going to leave you with them? Well, we're not sure about that. But he was in charge, so he said, okay, get out. I want this to be a moment with me and my brothers. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. I mean, you can imagine how emotional this is for Joseph that his brothers who sold him into slavery are now coming and begging for food. All of those dreams that he had about them bowing down, they actually are doing that now uh, to be able to get this food. And he's second in charge of everything. Uh, but he's also emotional because he's seen how God has used all of this over the last previous 13 years. And he's thankful that God used all of those hardships and now has brought this reunion together. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I mean, can you imagine what his brothers were thinking at this point? I mean, they thought he was dead. They thought he was long gone. They didn't even recognize him, and now he's making himself known. Is my father still living? For his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Uh, you bet they were terrified at this moment because now here's this powerful Joseph who they sold into slavery, who they originally were going to kill. He has power over them, and they are absolutely terrified. But Joseph let them know that he was not going to do anything bad to them. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who sold you into Egypt. So you see the bad news and the good news here, don't you? You see the bad news and the good news of, of this story, the the, the bad news is, is that Joseph is in charge and he might take us out. The good news is, is that he is alive and he's the one that can give us the food. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land. For the next five there will, be, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He's, he's seen as he's looking back on his life. I, I love one of my mentors who told me that you live your life forward and you understand it backwards. And I think that's so true is that many of you right now, especially as we're entering the holidays, you're going through a really tough time. You're going through a sad time. You're going through a stressful time. You're going through a time where there's lots of anxiety. And you're wondering, what is God doing? I mean, think about how many times in Joseph's life he must have thought, man, there's a lot of bad news happening here. When's the good news going to happen? But God was orchestrating each and every step 
that was the bad news so that he could bring him to this point. And God does that in each of our lives. He uses bad situations, bad things, bad relationships so that he can orchestrate for the good in our lives. And so that's what happens here uh, with Joseph. He, he reveals his identity. The good news is he's alive. The bad news is they didn't know what he was going to do, but he quickly reassures them that he's there and he's there for them. Verse 8, so then it was not by you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. God used this time to sanctify Joseph, to, to draw him closer to him, to, to mature him, to humble him, uh, to help him understand that he really was, that God really was in control. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of, of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herd, and all you have. I'll provide for you there because five years of famine is still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. I mean, isn't God so good? Here they are, the brothers thinking, oh no, Joseph's alive, he's going to take us out. And he does the complete opposite. He says, listen, have your whole family, everyone, have the wives, the kids, the grandchildren, come and live near Egypt so that you can be a part of the, the feast that's happening in the midst of this famine. The only way that you're going to survive, the only way you're going to thrive is by being close to me. I want to be close to you. I want to have that reunion. Such amazing good news. You can see for yourself, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I am, uh, who am speaking to you. Tell my father about the honor accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you've seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. I mean, it was such an amazing, sweet reunion through all of the years of pain. This fellowship that happened with his brothers was so sweet among these believers. All the hardship, all the difficulty, that was, that was all forgotten about. It was all forgotten about because of the good news that happened. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh is pretty pumped up because now he realizes the person that's second in charge actually has a large and fairly wealthy family. And this is great for his kingdom. This is great for his rule. The one that's second in charge, he thought he was a loner. He thought he was a prisoner. But now he actually has lots of resources and lots of people that can actually help the region, help the land, and can be put to work to help Egypt thrive even more. So he says, great, come on, this is, this is awesome. Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. And I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. Isn't that awesome? You can enjoy the fat of the land. What good news. Despite all the bad news that happened, the, this good news is occurring in their lives. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings. 
because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. I mean, can you imagine someone telling that to you? Not only worry about the belongings that you have, I mean, what you're going to have here is going to be so much more. What a crazy turn of events for these brothers. Sometimes we go through seasons where there's bad news, and sometimes we go through seasons where there's good news. And the gospel contains both the bad news and the good news, and they're experiencing the good news right on the heels of what they thought was going to be awful news. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. He gave, to each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is uh, what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for their journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. He knew his brothers. He said, listen, I just gave you good news. Don't be fighting over any of the things I'm sending you. He knew their character. And he said, listen, just Remember the blessings, remember the good news, and go and get my father as he's old in age, and I want to see him. And part of the reason why Joseph didn't go himself is, remember, they're in the midst of a famine. He's second in charge. He has a lot of responsibilities. He can't just get up and go. This wasn't like hopping on a Southwest Airlines flight. It would have been a several-day journey. It would have been uh, lots of things to prepare for. And so he stays behind, and he says, bring everyone here so I can see them. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob to the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned and could not believe him. Of course he would be stunned. He thinks all of these years that he's been dead. And here's the bad news and the good news too, right? I mean, the bad news is his brothers have to go back to his dad and say, for over a decade we've been lying to you. You thought that he was killed by a wild animal when we brought back his colorful coat that was drenched in blood that we set up. That's the bad news. The good news is, Dad, he's alive. And there's even better news. He's in charge of everything. And he's telling us to come. And so Jacob was stunned. He didn't believe them. But then they told him everything Joseph said to them. And when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of the father was revived. He forgot about the bad news real quick and focused on the good news. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. The gospel contains bad news and good news. I mean, you see the bad news is that the brothers meant all of this for evil. They meant to take Joseph out. They meant to get rid of him. But God meant it for good. And God had this amazing plan to work in Joseph's life. And we know as believers in Christ that he will he'll either restore us here on this earth or he'll restore us in the life to come. We know that there is a plan that God has in place even to work through the worst of times in our lives. You see the bad news repeatedly of, oh, no. Joseph is alive. He's going to kill us. Oh, no, my, my sons have lied to me for 13 years. But then you see the good news. No, Joseph's not going to kill us. He's going to take care of us. And you see the good news that my son is alive. And the gospel is just like that. The gospel is full of bad news and good news. See, the bad news uh, of the gospel is that each and every one of us has sinned. And we are far worse than we think we are. We, we are. But we should cheer up about that. 
because the gospel is far better than we could imagine. That's the good news. I have people come up to me all the time and say, Andy, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done in my life. I, I don't deserve the gospel. I don't deserve the good news. And you know what I tell them? You're right. You don't deserve it. That's grace. None of us deserve to be saved from our sins. None of us are worthy of God's goodness and God's grace. And then other people tell me that they don't need the gospel because they're a good person. And they look around, and they look at their neighbors and their coworkers and the people that are around them in school, and they start comparing themselves to other people. They think, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I mean, compared to other people, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And maybe when you do compare yourself to other people, maybe you would evaluate yourself as a good person. But what if you value, evaluate yourself next to a holy, holy, holy God? What if I told you the standard was perfection? How do you measure up then? See, all of us fall short. All of us fall short. God's love is so much greater than we could ever imagine. Joseph didn't deserve any of these blessings that he got. Joseph's brothers didn't deserve any of the blessings that they received, did they? I mean, they tried to kill Joseph. And then they came up with a plan to sell him into slavery. I mean, these guys were not good guys, were they? They needed grace. In Scripture, there are several different Greek words for sin. And I think this is important for us to realize. I think it's important for us to get the bad news. I really want us to understand the bad news of the gospel. Because when we understand the bad news of the gospel and how much we fall short, then the gospel is so much better. The first word is the most common word uh, for sin. It's hemaratia, which means missing the mark. And that's the kind of the, the definition of sin that you hear the most often. It's used the most in Scripture. You can picture a bullseye and us constantly missing the bullseye. And, and that's what our lives are like when we think about following God. When we think about following his God, God's word. We constantly miss the mark. The next word is Adakia, which means unrighteousness or inequity, and, and we are unrighteous. When we're outside of Christ, we cannot do any righteous things. Scriptures tells us over and over and over. Next word, pornea. Hmm. Recognize that word a little bit, don't you? Evil of a vicious and degenerate kind. See, we are constantly drawn into sin that can be vicious, can be degenerate, can be awful. All of us are drawn to that because on the surface, on the surface, it seems like it's nice. It seems like it's fulfilling. It seems like it's pleasurable. But we fall into that sin too. Parabasis means a trespass or transgression, stepping over a known boundary. We constantly do that too as, as people with our thoughts, with our actions, with our words. We go right up to the line and then we step over. Anomia means lawlessness and we certainly see that in our world, don't we? I don't have to convince you of that. All you have to do is turn on the news for, for 30 seconds and we see lawlessness. We see all these words for sin. All of these things to point us to the bad news, that that's who we are. We are all of these things. We are all sinners that desperately need a Savior. I am all of these things, and I desperately need 
a Savior. And that's the bad news. You guys ready for some good news? It's Christmas season now. You can't focus on the bad news all the time. The good news is, is that Jesus overcame each and every one of those things. When he lived a perfect life here on earth, and he had to be, had to be perfect because that's God's standard, and he was. He was perfect. He overcame every temptation, every way that he was tempted. He overcame that, and he went on the cross, and he died for each and every way that you and I have sinned. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's a lot. A lot of different ways that I've sinned. And he overcame that sin. And he rose from the dead victorious. And now our part is to believe. That's what we have to do. To accept his grace. To accept his mercy. We have to believe. In Acts chapter 16, verses uh, 30 and 31. He then was brought out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Have you ever believed in Jesus? If you haven't, that list of all those sins, just like I was for many years of my life, that's what defined me. And that's what defines you if you don't believe in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. The way that you do that is you just admit, you admit, listen, God, I, I am those lists. I'm those lists of sins. I do those things. I fall short. I'm not righteous. I say things that don't honor you. I know that I can't earn my way into heaven no matter how good I am. I'll never meet the standard of perfection. I need your perfection. I need your righteousness. Admit that. And then believe that he is the Christ, that he lived on this earth, that he died the death on the cross and he rose from the dead. And then see, commit your life to him. Commit your life to him. Make him Lord of your life. You can do that right in your seat, whether you're here or at home. Put your faith and trust in Christ. It doesn't matter the words you say to him. It just means that you surrender to him. If you've never done that, do that today. It's the best decision you could ever make. And if you are a believer, which I know most of you that are watching or here in this room are, I want you to know that Jesus has already done the most amazing work in your life. You may be going through a season like Joseph was going through. For 13 years, he was going through hardships. I know many of you are like, man, 2020, this is the worst year ever. How am I going to get through this? Well, you're going to get through this because Jesus has already done the most amazing work in your life. He's brought you and I from death to life. You realize that? If you're a believer in Christ, you were once dead and now you're made alive. Do you think that he can't work through the difficulties in your life right now? Do you think that he's not going to show up in an amazing way somehow? God is in control. He, he, he knows everything that's happening. He controls everything that comes to pass. But we should not be surprised. Just like Joseph and his brothers went through trouble, we shouldn't be surprised by it. Because listen to what it says here in John uh, chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. The word trouble there is the Greek word thespis, and it means oppression, affliction, tribulation, distress. Anybody gone through any of these things in your life? Oh, wow, well, only a couple. Okay, all right. Wow, I was like, man, I'm the only one that's experienced these, these things in my life? Yeah, well, listen, we all have trouble. It says, Jesus is saying this. You will have trouble. You will have trouble in this life. We should expect it to happen. We will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome 
the world. As we look through the bad news and good news of what happened in the story with, with Joseph, we see that Jesus has overcome the world and he had a plan for Joseph and he has a plan for us too. Do you believe that with Jesus everything is possible? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's in control? Do you believe in this Advent season that there's hope in Jesus to come again and there's hope uh, in remembering the birth of Jesus? Do you accept the will that he has for you in, in your life, even when the troubles come? We need to preach the gospel daily. I'm not the only preacher in this room. Each and every one of you is a preacher. You need to preach the gospel daily, starting with yourself. We have to start with ourselves, right? Because if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves, how can we give that to anyone else? So as we're going through difficult things, we need to preach the gospel to yourself. And I have a suggestion for you, is that each and every one of us, I'm pretty sure, at some point in the day, looks in the mirror, whether you're shaving or putting on your makeup. So I want you to make a couple signs that you can put on your mirror. I made these nice and big so you could see them. You put this sign right up on the mirror. Bad news. You are worse than you think. Okay? So as you're getting ready, just remember, you're worse than you think. But then right next to it, you can put this. Good news. The gospel is better than you think. And I promise you, put this in your mirror each and every day. You're going to start off the day preaching the gospel to yourself. You're going to remember, eh, I'm not all that great. But the gospel is amazing, and because of that, my identity is in him, and I can have so much hope and so much joy, and I know that God is going to use me for greatness if I allow him to do that. All through the Old Testament, we see people that were preaching the gospel to themselves. I mean, think about Noah. Noah is building an ark before rain comes on the earth. Can you imagine the ridicule that he was under? He had to preach the gospel to himself. He had to preach it over and over and over to himself so that he could stay on the path that God has for him. I mean, can you imagine Abraham? He's going out to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. Can you imagine how many times he had to preach the gospel to himself that, God, you're in control. God, I believe what you're going to do. He preached it over and over and over. Imagine the people walking around Jericho. How much they had to preach the gospel themselves thinking, these walls are just going to fall down by us marching around. This is insane. How is this going to happen? They had to preach the gospel to themselves. And Joseph, think about how many times he had to preach the gospel to himself as he was going through all of these ups and downs. And they were some pretty bad downs, weren't they? Every time he think he was going to get a break, he got set back again. Preached the gospel to himself. And Think about it in the New Testament, it, it continues on many, many times. John the Baptist, when he was left alone in, in prison, how he had to preach the gospel to himself. And Paul, over and over, with all the hardships that he went through, how many times he had to preach the gospel to himself. And Stephen, as he's being stoned for the sake of the gospel, I mean, he's thinking, what on earth? Here I am standing up for Jesus, and this is my reward? I'm getting stoned to death? Preach the gospel to themselves. In this worth, in this life, you will have trouble. So start with preaching the gospel to yourselves. Look in the mirror. See the bad news and the good news. Be refreshed by Jesus being in control. And then the final scripture I want to read to you, Romans chapter uh, 1, starting in verse 14 through 16. 
I'm obligated both the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I want to tell you, I'm going to tell you this final story, not because uh, I'm some kind of faith hero, but because of my weakness and because of the ways that I can be ashamed of the gospel. There was a guy, we moved into an apartment complex, which for people that are, um, people that are extroverts, this is like the best thing ever because you're around people all the time. And so Christy and I are actually really loving this apartment living, and we see next door that hospice has come. And they're taking a guy from the hospital into the house to have home hospice so that he could be cared for. And, and so I see the van co come up, and my family and I go out there, and um, the guy that comes out of the van is like a 28-year-old guy. I was expecting to be an old person in hospice, but it wasn't. And so I, I see the guy, and right away, God just puts on my heart, you have to pray for him. You know what this spiritual giant does? I go inside my house. I don't pray. I don't pray because I get fearful and there's people all around. And I don't know this guy. And so I go inside and it's just eating me up. It's just eating me up. And so I'm like, kids, we got to go back outside. We're going to figure out how we're going to pray for this guy. And we come back outside and the man has already gone upstairs. I don't know what apartment he comes to. And he comes down. He comes down and uh, this guy comes down. Not the guy that gets brought up in hospice. The guy comes down. And um, I said, man, is, is, is that someone that you know? And the guy says, that's my husband. And so my five-year-old, my eight-year-old, they've never heard that before. And so I'm hopeful that their faces didn't turn some crazy way. And I said, listen, man, I said, I I'm so sorry to hear what's going on uh, with him. And can I, can I pray? Can we pray? And we just pray right there. And then there's some other Christians that live in that apartment complex, and they all gather together and put a whole basket together. And we take one of the uh, tracks for, for that we have out there about heaven, and we put that on there, and we deliver it to their door. And, and um, this morning that I, I, I found that he's, he's really in his last day or so. And I don't know what's going to happen, but we need to preach the gospel daily to ourselves so that we have boldness to be able to share the gospel in a world that desperately needs it. Here is a gay couple who I don't know what their experience with God, with Christians is. I imagine it's nothing, nothing good. And my first reaction, my first reaction to pray for him, I'm, I'm ashamed of the gospel. And maybe that's been you sometime. I want you to know that God can even work through our weakest moments. And when you feel God leading on your heart to share the gospel with someone else, you know the gospel. You know how it's changed you. You don't know what the people around you uh, have experienced. You don't know what they've heard about Christians or they've heard about the gospel. We need to tell people the bad and the good news. And so I hope and I pray this week you'll have a chance to be able to share with someone this week. As you preach the gospel yourself, you'll be able to share with someone else. And when you start feeling like you might be ashamed of the gospel, you start feeling like what, the, what they might think or what they might believe, just remember what God has done in Joseph's life and remember what God has done in your life. Share the good news of the gospel. Preach the gospel daily. Let's pray. Lord, I do...
uh, lift up my neighbor. I, I don't know where his hope lies. I don't know if he's saved or not, but I pray that you would be merciful on him, God, that you would allow him to come to know you uh, before he dies. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would preach the gospel to ourselves and be ready to preach to others. We preach the bad news and the good news. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, to be a church where hundreds of people will go out in our community and we wouldn't be ashamed. We would be bold. We would help people to understand that there is trouble in this life, but in Jesus there is hope. Lord, we rejoice at the opportunity to be able to share the bad news and the good news with people. No one else in this world is going to do it. This is what you called us to do as Christians. This is our mission here on earth to glorify you and enjoy you forever. So help us to do that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.